Well, church, this is a very special weekend. It's always an incredible weekend here when God's people come together. Uh, this weekend is special for us in, in the fact that I get to introduce to you our guest preacher this morning who will be bringing us the Word of God. He is a, a dear friend of mine. And his name is Eric Ricard, and his wife, Marie Michelle, along with him, came here this weekend, and uh, something very exciting is happening in the province of Quebec. Eric, along with a fellow church planter, Danielle Paris, they are planting the First Harvest Bible Chapel in Quebec by the grace of God. Amen. That, yeah, that's worth giving it up for. Amen. And the name of the church is Eglise Doxa, and there's a core group building right now, and we are only eight months removed from that. We launched just under eight months ago with a group of, we started with ten people. And by the grace of God, we see him continue to build his church, and they need our prayers, and they're planting on the south shore, Broussard, of Montreal. And I want to challenge you in this. You see that email address right there, info at eglisedoxa.ca? I want you to prayerfully consider being part of his core group. You say, well, I don't know French. I don't, doesn't matter. See if the Lord would call you to be a part of this new work. And we want to have a kingdom mindset, and we're just open-handed with our people. And if that's you, and you feel that stirring, send Eric and Daniel that email and say, I don't know what the Lord may be doing, but hey, can I start praying with you about this? All right, and we will bless you in that. And so it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Eric. Would you please give him a warm Harvest Ottawa welcome? Thank you, Ray. It's such a blessing and so encouraging for me to be here this morning. It's a real privilege. And, and each time I talk with Ray, even this morning as we were praying um, in the little library uh, back there, it was just still encouraging me with this same thing. You know what, Eric? We love you. And Harvest Ottawa is loving what the Lord is doing in Quebec. And each time it's so encouraging. Thank you, Ray, for your friendship and for your encouragement. It's so precious to me personally and for us in Quebec. The Lord is doing something. And just being here this morning for us is so encouraging also because we see what the Lord has done in eight months. <laughs> that is awesome. You clap for Quebec, but clap for yourself. It's awesome what the Lord is doing right here. You know, it's not the work of a man. It's not, uh, Ray is great, but it's not him. Amen. Jesus is building his church, and you are seeing it right here, right now, and that's such a blessing. Um, I hope you're not sitting in your seat right now thinking after the last song that worship is over. I pray that as we open up our Bible in 1 John chapter 2, if you followed a little bit where you are in that series right now, we are at verse 28 in chapter 2. And as you open your Bible, realize that the Lord is here. God is alive. And that's the thing that I want to remember each time I open His Word and each time I come to preach His Word, each time I am meeting with my brothers and sisters in church, God is here. God is here. He's alive. And the Bible in Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that his word is living and active. And we truly believe that the Lord wants to do something in our heart this morning. He is holy as we sang this morning. He is holy. He is great. He is good. He is powerful. And he is with us. So let's bow our head and, and pray and ask him again to just help us. Because we know that without him we can do nothing. So please close your eyes and bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege. I just want to thank you in the beginning. 
thank you for your grace to allow each one of us to be meeting in this place together. And thank you for your promise that you will be with us, with us till the end. And we believe that you are with us in this place right now. Father, I pray that you open our eyes, that you open our heart, that we will be able to see and behold your glory and be transformed into the same image as your Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Father, you see everyone that is here this morning, everyone that came here with a burden, everyone that came here with their heart full of joy. We bless you for that. But I pray that you will do such a work in each one of our hearts that we will leave this place with a love that is even greater for you and for your people that we have right now. Work in our heart. We need you so much. We cannot do this. I cannot do this. We cannot preach and we cannot receive the word without you. So please, Holy Spirit, come and change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So you can open your Bible in 1 John chapter 2 and we'll start with verse 28 to, um, okay, there's a Bible waving back there, so excuse me. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand and someone will give a Bible to you right now. So do that. And as you do that, um, please answer this question in your heart. Who are you? That's the title. Oh, it's already on the screen. Who are you, Christian? Maybe think about that in your head right now. Who are, that's an, an important question. Who are you? Um, we are asked that question often in life. And I remember when I, I was doing some classes in human resources, and they told us that it's the first question you ask when you interview someone for a job. You sit with that person, and for example, TNT Productions. Hey, Ray, nice to meet you, Ray. Thank you for applying for this job at TNT Production. Let's start with you, Ray. Who is Ray? And then you listen to that person, and he talks about himself, and you learn a lot about a person when he just explains from his perspective or her perspective who he is. And, and, and it's a very important question, but it's, there's kind of two layers in that question. A little bit like when you meet someone on the street that you know, and you just walk by. Or maybe you did that this morning coming to church. You met someone here, and you said, hey, how are you? Fine, and you, okay, good, see you later. But there's a second layer when you're like, how are you? How are you really? How are you doing? With who are you, it's the same thing. You can say, hey, who are you? And often the, the answers that are coming, it, it's always the same thing. It will come to your job. It will come to what you're doing in life, to your social, maybe your so social status. It will come to your passions or something like that. And that's the first layer. But if you stop for a minute and say, hey, tell me, really, who are you at your core? And that's a really important question because the way you define yourself or the thing that really, with which you really identify yourself has the power to sustain you, but also to crush you. For example, if you say, I'm an engineer. I, that's my identity. I work hard to get there, and I'm doing that job right now, and I'm an engineer. The day you lose that job and you cannot practice anymore, you will be crushed. You'll be like, who, who am I? What is this life all about? All my life was centered around that. It's the same thing with your social status. Maybe you say, I'm a mother, I'm a spouse, but the day things are not going well at home, the day that you don't feel like you're such a good mother or father, the day your relationship with your kids in some ways or another are not going as you plan, you're crushed and you're like, who am I? What is this life all about? If I don't have that, who am I? What if I tell you this morning that there's an identity 
that you have as a Christian that has the power, yes, to sustain you, but never to crush you. If you need to write one thing down today, it must be this. I am a child of God. And it's something that we heard often. If you're a Christian for more than one month, you heard that already. I am a child of God. That's our identity as Christian. You know what? The, the question that is most asked, again, is still to this day, in the Christian world, what is it? What is my calling? We still ask that so often. What is my, and it's a good thing. I mean, you want to be fruitful for the Lord, you want to serve the Lord and all this, and it's a good question. But for some people, and me included, so often, it's still that you want to find your identity in what you do instead of what you really are at your core. Who are you, Christian? We'll see in this passage today, in the text that we are looking at, that we are child of God. And we will read uh, 1 John 2, verse 28 to 3-3, okay? And as we read this, I just want to tell you something. I will preach a little bit differently than I used to do, or that you are used maybe to hear here. Because uh, usually I will start with verse 29, uh, verse 28, and go to 29 and 1 of chapter 3, 2, 3. But today I want to go right to the core of the passage, I want to go right to the, the, the particular truth in which all of the other things are connected. So we go right to this truth that we are God's child. And after that, we'll see. It's like the, the hub of the wheel. I am a child of God. And we'll see the, the poke that are connected with that in the other verses. So follow me. It will not be complicated to follow, I believe. But just to tell you a little bit where we're going and not say, hey, you skipped two verses. No, we'll come back to that after, okay? Let's read it. Chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's the word of God. We'll begin with, I am a child of God. Look with me at verse 1. There's something beautiful that is happening in this verse. But we don't see it if we just read our Bible with, you know, the, the, the separation of chapters and verses in our Bible sometimes confuses us. Usually you will read your Bible and stop at verse 29 of chapter 2 and then pick up maybe at chapter 3 the day after or the week after sometime. I hope not. But you will make a cut there. But what is beautiful is that as soon as John is hitting the subject of being born of God, there's an outburst of love and admiration toward his God. And that's what is happening here in verse 1. He's going, he's going crazy about this truth. And he says, that's why he says, see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we may be called children of God. And so we are. It's just outbursting. You see, the, the word that is used here, when you say, see, we have that, that translated see in English in our Bible. 
But the, the, the Greek word means, and the King James Version has kept that, that word. It says, behold, behold what kind of love the Father has given to us. That means more than just seeing. It's, it's the difference when you, you see something and when you really get something. It's the difference between seeing and really getting it, understanding it, seizing what he's saying. It's the difference between getting an information and knowing something. It talks about an experimental understanding. It's the difference between a flower is a beautiful thing and look at this flower. It's so beautiful. You see the difference between just seeing something and understanding something and really knowing that thing. That's what John is experiencing here. Here we have a teaching by example. John is not just saying something. He is showing something. He is himself knowing his God and loving his God before the people that are reading his letter. He's just touching the subject. We are born of God. And then you see that, that awesome love. And when we see the, this outburst in, in John's heart, we, we can see something that is really important because it, it's one, if not the greatest proof that you are children of God. What is your salvation doing in your own heart? What's the impact when you think about the fact that you are saved? What is the impact on your heart? It is supposed to look a little bit like John. See, it, you're never supposed to talk about your salvation. You say, we talk together and say, hey, you're, you're children of God. God has saved you. Yeah, yeah, God saved me. It's awesome, right? Yeah, he, he did a great thing. You know what? He, he did a great choice even to choose me to be saved. It's... It, a children of God is never cold when it comes to his salvation. It's not supposed to be, yeah, right? Uh, it's an awesome fact that God saved me. But it's a, what? God saved me? God saved me? You, can you see that awesome love? This is incredible. And the children of God is never cold when it comes to his salvation. And John is the perfect example of that. Just outbursting in love in front of this truth. But he continues saying, what kind? See, what kind of love the Father has given to us? And this expression here, what kind, in the original Greek also, it's something that when I read it, I'm like, it says, from what country? So yeah, you have the right face. It's like, from what country is this love coming from? But it's a, that's an expression that is just meaning, if we translate it in, the, in our words today, it will mean something like, are you kidding me? Where does that come from? How in the world can God love me like that? What kind of love? Who does that? Who loves us like that? That's the kind of love that you don't see anywhere else in this world. What kind of love the Father has given to us? But why? Why is the love of God in calling us His children such a great thing? Why is it so mind-blowing? John Murray is a great theologian that I really appreciate he said that adoption listen to this he said that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers the highest privilege that the gospel offers he says also that it is the apex of grace and privilege i am a child of god if murray is right and i believe he is and we should be listening very carefully to what the bible has to say about the fact that we are god's child it is crucial. It's so important. But why? Why is it such a big deal from the 
gospel point of view. Simply put, because God could have saved us without making us his children. He could have saved us and decided to say, okay, I'll save you, and now uh, you're free from sin and all of this. You, you're clean. You, you start with a clean slate, and I send you to another planet that I created. You go there. You start free from sin. There's no presence of sin anymore, and I will communicate with you through angels. He will have been so gracious to do that. He will have been so good to do that. But to call us his children, that's, that's so big. You need to understand that it's super abundant grace. And, and we don't really get this as long as we don't really understand who died and who lived. Listen to this very carefully. If you never heard the gospel uh, particularly, open your ears. It's so important. The only begotten and beloved Son of God died on the cross and suffered our punishment. Our curse. So that instead of receiving death and hell that we fully deserve, we receive life, eternal life by faith in Christ Jesus. God the Father turned his face on his son Jesus Christ so that we could be called children of God. That is awesome. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. What kind of love is this? And if you hear that for the first time this morning, if you never heard anything about Jesus Christ, you know, I was listening to the song and, and worshiping God this morning, and I just, I'm just blown away by the fact that the gospel was so there in every song almost. Jesus Christ died for us. Don't wait for a better opportunity to put your faith in him. Don't wait for a better moment. This is right now the best time to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Run to him with a repentant heart. Ask him to save you from your sin and receive eternal life and be called the children of God. Don't wait. Adoption is more than saving us and sending us to another planet. It's calling us and bringing his enemies into his family. What kind of love is this? Now, can you begin to fill with John? The amazement in front of that love that comes with that truth. The Father loved us so much. And he said, so we are. What kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So that's a, another layer. That's even, there's something even more than just adopting us legally into his family. He's doing that. He's adopting us in a legal sense. He declare us his children. We are truly his children. We can do nothing else about that. We believe in him. We are children of God. We have the privilege of a child. But he's doing even more than adopting us into his family. Legally, the word says that he makes us to be born again in his family. You see what kind of power is this? Beloved, this morning, you must believe this to be your true identity. You must believe this to be your true identity. Nothing can define you more than this if you are a believer. That you are God's child. That means you are so loved. And that defines you in this world. You know your father and you know how much you are loved by him. And that's enough. That is enough. You don't need to find your identity in your job anymore. You don't need to find your identity in your name anymore. You don't need to find your identity in your family anymore or in your success or in your bank account or in anything else. You are God's child and that is enough. But knowing that, what is it is supposed to do in your heart? 
when you realize that the Father loves you so much that through every adversity, every difficulties that life can bring to you, you are that loved by your Father. He will take care of you. You can begin to think, that, then why am I so fearful? Why am I so stressed? Why am I so bored? Why do I feel like that? God loves me. God loves me. That is a powerful truth. I don't need to find my satisfaction in anything else. Why am I so angry all the time? This means also that our way of thinking as children of God needs to change. And you will probably recognize yourself at some point or another in this. But if you are God's children, that will not change. You know, it's, it's very, very, very weird when you meet another Christian and ask, Hey, are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? And the person answer, I try, you know. What does that mean? You try, you try to be a child of God. You do not try. You either are a child of God or you're not. If my son get up in the morning and I ask him, hey, hey someone ask him, are you Eric's child? And he just says, oh, I try, you know. I had a very bad week, so I'm not sure anymore. What? It's my son, and I feel even more like a father when he has a bad week. We are God's children, and that will not change. In Romans 8, verse 36, it says that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that's true. You are God's child once and for all. So no wonder that he says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. No wonder they don't understand who we are or what we are all about. They don't know our father. They don't know his amazing love. Oh man, this guy, what is wrong with this guy? He lost his job. He worked in that place for 30 years. And he left here with a smile on his face. What's wrong with him? My identity is not in my job. I don't know what will happen with me. I don't know what, what will happen in my life. But one thing I know, I am God's child. He loves me, he will cares for me, and I don't have to fear. That's a powerful truth when you know who you are. Now, I wanted to start with this core truth because everything that is around that in that passage will uh, either flow from that truth or is a proof that we are a child of God. Verse 28 and 29, we'll see how John point us to recognize the true child of God. So let's get right to it in John, 1 John 2 verse 28. Now that we know that we are God's child, as a children of God, as a child of God, I must abide in Him. Read verse 28 with me. And now little children, abide in Him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence, confidence, and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Here we have a word, then the opposite of that word. The word confidence in Greek and the word, uh, the word that they translated by shrink away in shame is the same uh, roots. It's confidence and not confidence, shrinking in shame. But here we see something very powerful. And our text today is like uh, there's bookends of the Lord's coming back. And at the end, the Lord is coming back again. We need to really grasp that this morning. The Lord is coming back. Jesus will return. Are you ready to meet your creator? Are you? Are you ready to meet the Lord who made you? Are you ready to give an account for the life that he gave you to live on this planet? Are you ready? Here we see in this text that there's only two issues. 
Only two possible answers from men and women on that fearful day. And John says it's either standing before him with an unshakable confidence or shrinking in shame. That's the only two options. Which one will it be for you? John here is saying that there's real and there's fake children of God. There's those who say they are and there's those who truly are. And I believe you heard that in the last message, the difference between false prophet and the real children of God. So let's start with the ugly and finish with the beautiful. Okay, it's always better this way. The only issue of not abiding is shrinking in shame at his coming. If you do not, if you do not abide in him now, you won't have confidence then. But shame, that will make you want to disappear in God's presence. And that's coming from the text right here. Let me show you only two scriptures that show us the reaction of those who do not abide in Christ, those who do not belong to Christ, those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's sad. It's a hard truth that we'll see right here, but it's a truth nonetheless, and we need to believe this. Matthew 22, chapter 12. I will read this for you. If you want to uh, write it down, you can, but I will read it for you. Jesus is talking about the great meeting between the church and, and, and Jesus and um, the great wedding. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the word that we have here, speechless, is the same word that was translated by shrinking in shame. He was speechless. How did you get here? <gasps> shrinking in shame. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And that's, that's the reality. If you do not believe in Christ, that's what is awaiting you. Consider it. Revelation 6, verse 15 to 17. Jesus, again, is revealing, giving this revelation to John. And he's talking about those who do not believe at the end. And he says, Then the kings on the, of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? That's what is in John's mind when he's talking about shrinking in shame. I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for myself. Run and hide yourself in Christ today. That's, that's something that, you know, please mi don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to scare you to heaven. That's just, I'm just stating facts. I'm not trying to make you to, to be so scared and so afraid that you will make a decision, a rash decision, and you won't stay in Christ because you won't believe it for real. But you will just be afraid of hell. But that's the truth. Those who do not believe in Christ will experiment that truth one day. It's not trying to scare you to heaven, but I'm trying to do something. And the Bible, when John gave that revelation to John, uh, when Jesus gave that revelation to John, is just trying to put urgency on their heart. Saying, realize the Lord is coming back. Where will you stand on that fearful day? Consider what Jesus has done on the cross. If this is true, consider what Jesus has done on the cross. Run to him. Believe in him. 
He is the great Savior. He said that he will not reject anyone that runs to him by faith. Do that this morning. The next thing that we see in this text is that the verb abide here is the present imperative. That means an ongoing action. John is saying there's, uh, that the true children of God are those who abide in Christ. And, and they are the only one. They are the only one that can have confidence at the end. So we start with the ugly, not the beautiful. Those who abide in Christ are truly child of God and will truly have confidence at His return. And He's saying abide as an ongoing action. That means abide now, abide tonight, abide tomorrow, abide in two days. Abide, 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 abide. Or if you want, it, put it more simply, live abiding in Him. You need to stay connected to the source of life every day of your life. If you are a child of God, you don't, you don't just uh, think that it's a great thing. You really want that. You cherish the Lord and you want to abide in Him. I don't say that it's always easy. But our hearts want to do that. And we, you know the language here. We're talking about, about God time. You need to spend time with God daily in His Word and in prayer. If you ask, why am I so cold when it comes to the things of the Lord? Why am I not growing more in my Christian life? Why am I so unfruitful in my life? Are you abiding? Are you abiding? Because it comes from Him. Cut the branch from the tree and tell me why there's no fruit on that branch. There's no life flowing to that branch because it's not connected to the root. It's not connected to the tree. So let's be clear, okay? Once again, I'm not saying... That the fact that you are abiding is saving you. I'm not saying that if you practice your religious duty of abiding, you will be saved. That's the opposite. That's because you are saved and because you are a child of God that you are abiding in Christ. That's a proof that you've been born again. You want to abide in Him. John is saying, here's a proof that you are a child of God. A child of God, abide in Him. And you will have confidence on that day when Christ returns. A child of God abides in Christ, and there's no exception on that. You, you may ask, how do I abide? I will tell you, go back and listen last week's sermon maybe. John, 1 John 2, verse 24. John explains it so clearly. He said, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. It's that simple. What did they hear they heard from the beginning? If they let what they heard from the beginning abide in them. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the word of God. If you let the word of God abide in you, if you put that word into you, if you abide in the word, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Abide in Him. Brothers and sisters, it's so important. John 15, 5, you know that verse probably by heart. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is talking. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Meaning nothing. <laughs> apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't try to have a fruitful life if you are not abiding in Christ. The child of God abide in Him. Everything else in your life will flow from your relationship with the Lord. If there's anything meaningful produced through your life, if there's anything fruitful, it will come from abiding in Him. It will come from Christ. So it's impossible to follow Christ without abiding in Him. But you know what? The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. And our enemy is real. 
And they don't want us to abide. They will fight against our abiding. They will fight against our devotion to God. Why? Because they both know that they are defeated by it. Satan and sin are both defeated when you abide in Christ and when you are beholding the glory of God. And when his life is flowing from you, fruit is bared. Bored or the word conjugate in that right tense. (laughs) You bear fruit if you abide in Christ. Fight for this. It's our greatest calling to live in a loving, intimate relationship with Christ. A true child of God abide, as John said, no exception. So the assurance that you will be confident when Jesus appears. The confidence, if you want to have that then, then you need to abide now. That's as simple as that. Then John proceeds to the second test to discern the children of God. And in verse 29, it's, it, it's in fact that the normal overflow or the normal uh, response or the normal, yeah, just the normal overflow of abiding in Christ is that you will live righteously. So verse 29, I will pursue righteousness. As a child of God, I will pursue righteousness. Verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, and here it's a rhetorical uh, declaration, you know, he's, he's assuming that the reader are saying, yeah, we know that God is righteous. Fine, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been what? Born of him. He is a child of God. How do I know he's a child of God? He is practicing and living a life that is seeking and pursuing righteousness. Amen. And I won't spend too much time on this particular verse because John here starts a subject. Then he just explodes in that admiration about the love of God and he takes it back at verse 4 to 10. And you will hear more about that. But there's some things that I want to highlight in this verse particularly. Uh, It's the distinction between the righteous and the sinner, the son of God and the son of the devil. And here, simply put, there is a cause and there's an effect. The cause is I am born of him. I am a child of God. The effect is I live a righteous life. I pursue righteousness in my life. And we know that, that... Who here can lift his hand up and say, I always, in any moment, at any given time, live a righteous life and make righteous decisions? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody. But John addressed that in the beginning. If we sin, we know that we have an advocate with the Father. But listen, here, he's just saying that there's no, no true children of God who doesn't resemble their Father in their pursuit of righteousness. Yes, there's gradation or whatever, but it's there. We need to understand the context also. Because John is writing to a group of people in which there are many false teachers and people that claim to be God's children while they live in sin, openly. Like there's nothing wrong about it. They are false prophets. Matthew says that we recognize them by their fruits. The life they live tells you more about what they believe than their doctrinal statement. And why is it so important for us today? Because there's still so many of them in our world today. Maybe even among us this morning. Maybe sometimes we can be catch up in, in this kind of thinking and need to come back fast. But there's so many people that are calling themselves Christian and calling God their father while at the same time living a life of sin like it's nothing. Too many people wave the flag of the grace of God as a license to sin. There's many churches today filled with people with the wrong understanding of grace. Grace is always active. 
Grace always produces something in the life of the believer. Always. And one of my favorite passages in Scripture is Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. Maybe note this and you can read it at home. But I will just read a part of it. In Titus 2, verse 11 to 14, it's clear that the grace of God, it says that the grace of God is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace does that. Grace is never inactive. It always changes us. But how easy, honestly, how easy is it to convert people, to convert people to that kind of belief? To say to people, believe in that kind of Christianity. You know what? Accept Jesus. You will receive eternal life and it won't affect in any way the sinful life that you enjoy so much. That's not true. It's not biblical. They will say, come on, you can enjoy both the pleasure of a true and personal relationship with the holy God and at the same time enjoy a daily life of sin. That's not true. Just the fact that God is holy tells you that. John expressed it clearly in chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we what? We lie and do not practice the truth. If you have a new relationship, that sentence I repeat to myself often. If you have a new relationship with God, you have a new relationship with sin and it's hatred. You hate sin. I know many of you are in that, that camp. When you, you're born again and you live a life connecting to Christ, connected to Christ, you, every time you sin, a child of God cannot just sin and live his life like it's nothing. There's always repentance. There's always that heart that say, oh, I sinned again. Father, I sinned again against you. I don't want that to, to hinder our relationship. I don't want that to be between you and me. I'm not pleased with sin. Father, I'm looking forward to that day when sin will exist no more. That's where we're going this message also. There's no doubt about it. A child of God pursue and long for righteousness. You will hear more about that in the next sermon. So Lord, let's jump right to the hope of a child of God. It is one of the parts in this text that is so exciting. Last part. As a child of God, I will live with hope. I will live with hope. Look at chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. It is so powerful. If you are a child of God, that is true for you. Verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are, he's just punching again on that truth. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What a beautiful statement right here. That is the hope of every child of God. And when I think about this moment, when I think about this, this day when we will meet the Lord and be transformed into the same image in full, I, 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 cannot, I cannot not think about the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what it was? The snake come. Satan came to Adam and Eve. And he tells them, eat the fruit of that tree. Because if you do that, you will be what? You will be like God. <laughs> and Adam and Eve are seduced and, and fall into that trap and, and do this. But, that, but that's crazy because if Adam and Eve had thought for a minute, they, they would have said to, this, to, to Satan, what are you talking about? 
If I eat that, I will be... What are you talking about? Have you not read the creation of the world? He said He created men and women in His own image. They were already like God. And He came and said, eat that, you will be like God. And He does that. And what happened? What happened next? It's crazy because it's the exact opposite. They became less like God. The image of God in them, as Ligon Duncan said, was not erased, but effaced. And they became more and more like Satan and not more and more like God. That's a crazy, crazy thing. But God, but Jesus intervened. Listen to this. Okay, that's, that's the story of redemption with that perspective of likeness with God. Listen to this. The perfect Son of God, eternally glorious in heaven, by whom God created us in His likeness in the beginning, left heaven to come on earth and become in our likeness in order to save us if we place our faith in Him. And then He brings us back, as we see in this text, again in His likeness, in full. That is the redemption. What an amazing God we have. A powerful Savior. Sin has destructed, has destroyed the image of God in us. It's now really confused and we don't know who we are anymore. But Jesus came, rescued us, and is reforming, retransforming us into the likeness of our God. But this time, for real and for good. It's the third and last thing in this text that flow uh, out from our adoption. John MacArthur's called that the chief among the blessing that comes through adoption. The chief among the blessing. We call that the doctrine of glorification. It's a big word, glorification. What it means is that we will, uh, one day it's the promise of a glorified body and soul free from all sin and infirmity. It's the final stage of our salvation. Paul calls that in Romans 8.23, the consummation of our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And John said here, really clearly, we don't see what we will be. We don't see it. But he says that we know what it will be. We don't see it. We don't see it in full yet, but we know what we will be. John says here that we know and know in a certain sense, in a certain sense that when Christ appears, we will be like him. So we know what it is, but we don't see it in full yet. Why we don't see it in full? Because when we will be like him is when we see him in full. So we don't see what we are right. Do you understand how much our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ? As uh, the day we see him face to face, we will be like him instantaneously. How glorious. Think about it. How glorious and pure someone must be. That just seeing him as he is, we become like him. How holy and pure is he that just standing in front of him with our eyes fixed on him will suffice to destroy everything sinful and all impurity and all imperfections in us in an instant. In an instant. That will happen to us, children of God. And in a sense, it's already began here in this life. It already began in us. And that comes from Scripture. So I just want to show you two little things. Two amazing truths from that hope that we have. And then I'll close this message. The first thing I want to show you is the reality that we can begin to experiment this transformation right now. What I find most wonderful for my own uh, personal experience, the thing that I'm cherishing so much about sanctification is the way of sanctification. 
the way we are sanctified. Yes, there is effort. Yes, there's discipline. But the main way that we are supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ is by what? Worship. By worshiping our God. My favorite verse in the whole Bible is 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. And it says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed, are being transformed, being right now, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord with the Spirit. <laughs> it's crazy to think about that. Worship is not something we do before preaching. It's not preparing us to preach. Preaching is preparing us to worship. (laughs) Worship is the big thing. When we worship God, God, we are beholding His glory. We are seeing how much glorious, how powerful, how beautiful, how awesome, how holy He is. And then we are transforming to the same image as we worship Him. For me, it's so mind-blowing. How are we transformed here, now in this life? 2 Corinthians says that, We are transformed from one degree of glory to another, little by little. But John says, there's a day that is coming that in an instant will be transformed into the same image as Christ in a moment because we will see him fully as he is. If we see him with unveiled face, we can ask, why is our transformation not complete here? First, because we're still in the body of flesh. One day God will take rid of this. But second, our face is unveiled. His is not fully unveiled yet. (laughs) We're not completely transformed because we not see him fully yet. But I cannot imagine what it will be. Imagine that, okay? Just just for a moment. Because this, this whole hope that we have... It's not the hope. It does not mean the same thing as we say. When we say, I hope it's not still uh, snowing when I get out of this place this morning. It's not like a, a certain hope like that. Oh, I, I hope you're well. No, it's a hope that is certain, that is anchored in the truth that we are God's children. If you are God's children, you will be transformed into the same image one day. It's sure. It's sure. And that transformation will happen. And listen, our transformation, our final transformation will happen simultaneously with our greatest worship of all time. What sight will it be? The Lord of Lords, our precious Savior, our glorious God, the Lion and the Lamb, the victorious who conquered death for us, the one and only, the life itself, the ultimate reality in front of us, in His full glory, worship. Worship will be the only thing that will come out of our being at this sight. Worship for eternity. And at that same moment, as we are worshiping this way, our being will be Pierced by perfect holiness and beauty and glory and will be transformed into the same image. It's supposed to create something in our heart. It's supposed to make us want to explode in adoration in front of God. Like, God, that is my sure hope. I will be like that one day. How great is our God? We'll be done with sin. Christian, who in here is so tired of sin in his life? I'm so tired of fighting with sin. And not being able to be completely, uh, get rid of it completely in my life. But one day, as we worship him, we will be transformed. John says that those who are looking forward, the last thing that we are looking is the hope. What is this hope producing in us? What is this hope 
producing in us. Verse 3 says, And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Why? Having this blessed hope in our heart, we aim for this now. We fix our eyes on this glorious meeting with expectation. John says that those who are looking forward to that glorious day are now purifying themselves in this life. Sanctification, conformity to the image of God. They are already walking with the eyes, their eyes on the end goal. Listen, becoming like Christ for children of God is not just a promise that the Christian is awaiting. It's not just a promise that we are waiting, but it's the total fulfillment of what our heart desires now. Don't you want to be like Christ? Are you, not, you know, we talk about discipleship all the way, how to become a better disciple. There's many disciplines and all of that. But what is discipleship all about? Becoming like Christ. That's our main goal in life. And that will be the door that brings us in this full completion of transformation into the image of Christ. Our heart desire is to be like our Savior. And knowing that we can begin to experiment that in this life, it's supposed to fire us up and give us the desire to seek it with all our might. We desire it so much. It's who we are. It's who we are. And our heart seeks and that day will be the apex. That they will be the apex, the climax, or the, the, the old Puritans were saying the summum bunum. That means the greatest good when we see him face to face. Who are you, Christian? Asking you one last time. I am a child of God, so loved by my Father that I love abiding in him, and I long for righteousness and live with this purifying hope of meeting him and becoming in full what I am created to be, like him.